This is Let's Get Legal. It's powered by the Illinois State Bar Association, and I'm your host, John Hanson. I think you know the players here, everybody. You've listened to this show long enough. Audrey Anderson joins us now, and she's a frequent guest on our program from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. Audrey, it's always great to chat with you. Oh, it's great, too. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, and every time we chat, I learn something completely new, which is not unique to you. Every guest always teaches me a lot of new things. But you bring a wealth of knowledge uh, in your years of history working in the prosecutor's office, the state's attorney's office as a prosecutor, uh, defense attorney. Now you also do a lot of juvenile defense. I, I honestly think this is a world where, especially juvenile defense and what happens in juvenile court or juvenile lockup, which I know probably is not the term we should use for that. But I think it's a world that a lot of people have no idea how it all works. Do you agree? Very true. Unless you have a child that's in the system where you get a crash course pretty fast on what happens to your kid, most people really have no idea because it's sealed. Everything about juveniles are not disclosed to the public, so they don't really get a lot of publicity about it. Boy, that's a great point. We obviously get a lot of what happens in our court system based on what we report, what the news reports. And for good reason, a lot of that is sealed for people of a certain age, whether it's victims or whether, of course, it's the alleged people who commit these crimes or that are found guilty of it. But it is under seal. I hadn't thought about that. I just thought it was just uh, something that was a little out of sight, out of mind for people. Maybe it's because it's a little uncomfortable to talk about, isn't it, Audrey? It is. It's in a difficult situation because if you are the victim of a crime, you're angry that you think maybe the kid gets off lightly. But if you're the parents of the offender who's a juvenile, then you're in a totally different position and the system can't be nice enough. Right. And I also think that we're in this age now where we are kind of revisiting past uh, rules and laws and mandatory minimums and recidivism and what that means. And I think that we are starting to have better conversations about what that means from a juvenile perspective. Yet at the same time, we do have crime rates going up. So there is one side that is, well, actually, I mean, everyone is concerned about it, of course, but we just have, it's a contentious issue, right? How strongly do you punish minors for mistakes that they make. And I think that that leads to a lot of really difficult trepidation on the parts of both sides of the island and every family. Right. It definitely does because studies have now shown that your brain isn't formed completely developed until you're in your mid twenties. So when you're a teenager making these mistakes, should you be punished the same as if you were 25 as opposed to 15? Well, if you're the victim, you say, yes, they should be. If you're the parent or the kid itself, you say no. But I think it's a double-edged sword for that because now people realize that when you're 15, you can get the chance of probation. But if you were 25 when you committed that crime, you're going to prison for some crimes for double digits. So it's kind of a double-edged sword because like last year, there was a a lot of carjackings. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the people involved brought in teenagers, minors to help do stuff. And the minors were the ones getting caught and they ended up with probation and the adults were the ones that got away. Well, a lot of crimes, they start with trying to bring in the minor to start the crime or go into the house first, because if the minor gets caught, well, they're just going to get probation, eventually get sealed and nobody finds out. Yeah. Boy, so they're exploiting the sympathy that we have for minors in those situations. And that's, of course, wrong. 
But on the flip side, you don't want to start charging 15-year-olds who maybe make a mistake, even a minor one, over the edge. I mean, like, this is really hard territory to try and find a, a, a way to navigate through this, isn't it? It is because a lot of juveniles are just trying to fit in in high school. So just making a, a dumb mistake, you know, taking something from a store, putting something in your pocket when you're a juvenile just because you've got Valentine's Day coming up. Well, should you go to juvenile detention? Should you be locked up for that? When it's really your first offense and you just weren't thinking, you're not really a hardened criminal. Or if you are more susceptible to peer pressure when you're 15 than when you're 35. Yeah. So sure. shouldn't their consequences be different for you? One hundred percent. think so. One hundred percent. And you're pulling out that Valentine's Day example. I can just tell sometimes, you know, obviously you can't give names or specifics, but these seem to be cases that you have worked on in the past, right? Right. Yes, it is. Or just, you know, kids don't think they think it's just a draw right if you hop on like those electric motorized carts or whatever, a jewel, and you take it for a ride. Well, jewel takes it seriously. But for a teenager, that just looks like fun, you know? But if you're the 10th kid that's done that to Jewel, they want you to be the example. Whereas you just think it's just a fun thing to do on a, in the summertime. Wait, someone got in a lot of trouble for taking a, one of those Jewel or one of the grocery store carts? Yeah, you know, the ones that the uh, disabled people can sit on that are yeah. more, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. That definitely sounds like something. A lot of money. That sounds like something I would have done as a teenager. So okay, uh, yeah. but I get it. Like right, like they're sick of people doing it, so they want to set an example. Anyways, let's dive in here a little deeper to how juvenile detention is that the right word works here in the state yes. of Illinois. Give us, you know, what happens through the process. All right, so some uh, someone gets caught, a, a teenager gets caught with a crime. They go to court, right? And then what's the process from there? Right. So when a juvenile gets caught in the act by a police officer, if you're an adult, you go off to jail or you post bond at the police department. For juveniles, it's totally different. Parents, adults don't post money to get a child out. It's either you're detained or not. So whether or not you're initially detained until you're brought to court, like say you're arrested at 11 p.m., court's not till 9. What does the officer do with you? They can't keep you at their police department. So they reach out to the youth home and then the youth home has like a scoring sheet to determine whether or not you have enough points to be detained. If you don't have enough points, then you just stay home with your parents and your parents have to come with you to court guardian and you have to come to court the next day. What determines points? points? Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So points depends on uh, the facts of the case, how serious it is. Cause obviously if you charge with a uh, residential burglary, as opposed to stealing, you know, a pop from the Seven Eleven. That's a higher, you get more points. If you have prior police contacts, more points. So the higher the points, then you get detained. If you only have one or two points, then you get released back to your parent or guardian who brings you to court the next day. And then you argue to the judge, the prosecutor does, that the kids should be detained or not detained. Right, because we're all still talking about pre any trial motions. This is about detaining kids uh teenagers in this process where like normally adults would be go would get arrested then post bond or they would get released in preliminary hearings right correct right so for adults officers depending on the crime they can just bring you to their police department you can post you know a hundred dollars or get a recog i bond so you don't post anything and go or if it's more serious you go to jail and you go to bond court the next day but juveniles the process is slightly different 
Okay, so let's say they get to go home. That's great. They don't have that many points. They're with their parents. That's a little safer environment. They can talk and chat through what their next steps are. They can call Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors to make sure that they're well represented the next day or whenever they need to go to court. But if you go to juvenile detention, first of all, are there facilities in every county? Like, how does that work? And then what's the process like beyond that? So years ago, when there was a lot of funding, there were a lot of youth homes all over. DuPage County had them. um, King County had them. But it gets expensive to run a youth home because there has to be someone staffing it 24-7. So most of the local counties, besides Cook County, they go to King County. And the different counties just transport their juveniles there to and from court. And then the counties like DuPage or other counties then pay King County to use their youth home. I see. By the way, you keep on saying youth home. I say detention center. I want to make sure I'm getting the the proper language that we call it these days. Is, is mm-hmm. detention center? That's the old way of how we refer to it, and youth home is more uh, what what is standardized now. Oh, it's both. It could be both. Okay. Yes. Well, you know, yeah. language changes, Audrey. So I yeah. just want to make sure that's I, true. I'm not saying anything uh, that's mm-hmm. going to offend folks because these. And this is a really good point, actually, because just like adults. These youths who are, if they are in this youth home or they're at home with their parents, they are still presumed innocent until proven guilty, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. So then that brings up an interesting point of how long a child can be in a youth home. How does that work? How does that determination get made? Is it just a temporary situation until they can get before a judge for that preliminary hearing or whatever it's called? And then the judge determines from there what happens? Correct. So initially, they have to be brought before the judge the next available court date. And so most of the times now, counties have accommodated so you can have detention hearings on the weekends as well. So then the judge makes the decision as to whether or not the minor should remain detained. Now, while a case is pending, the minor can stay detained the entire time. However, typically, as part of a sentence, a minor can only be sentenced up to 30 days in the youth home. And unlike adults, where jail is day-for-day credit or 75% credit or 85% credit, depending on the crime, it's if you get 10 days youth home, it's 10 days youth home. Okay. So if depending on how long the case goes, you can stay detained predisposition before you plead guilty or admit the petition or are found guilty. I want to make sure I understand. If you actually end up going to court for trial or whatever it's called for this case, and you're found guilty. The maximum sentence in a in a detention center slash youth home is 30 days. Yes, it seems silly. It doesn't matter really what the crime is. Wow, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. But you were saying that the detention time could actually be longer. Well, I don't know. Could it be up to 30 days before you get that trial and those motions, or do they usually move them along quicker? They try to move it along quicker. But sometimes defense attorneys just aren't ready, and so cases get prolonged. So unfortunately, you can have some minor detained for six months or longer while defense attorneys are gathering police reports or things like that. But while they're at the youth home, the detention center, they are required to have um, education and schooling and counseling. So that's why it's so expensive to staff these, because they need mental health treatment, they need school they need doctors and nurses. So they are receiving um, 
care while they're there and they're still furthering their education. All right. This is a fascinating conversation. We got to take a, a break because I, I, I've got so many questions. Audrey, where should people reach out to you, by the way, if they're getting out of their car right now, they're not going to hear the rest of our conversation. Uh, where's the best place that they can call you, reach you, however they want to get a hold of you? Sure. They can always reach out to our website, www.andersonaa.com or office number 630-877-5800. 877-5800. Okay. Uh, let's uh, take a break here. We're going to go to the newsroom for a quick check of the news here on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association on 720 WGN. John Hansen here on this Saturday afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us here today. And we got Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors, and we're talking about the process of juvenile detention, the youth homes that they go to, how it all works. And uh, Audrey, I hope parents don't ever have to go through this. But I do think that kids getting into trouble, making minor offenses, and the way that police adjudicate them, and maybe our court systems adjudicate them too, I I guess what I'm getting at is a lot more parents may have to deal with this than wish to have to deal with this. Am I right with that uh, assumption? Very true. That's so true. Because it seems like nowadays, obviously, we're just a lot harsher on crime, or maybe as opposed to viewing it harsher on crime. We're just trying to do more early intervention with the legal system to get students or kids the aid that they need if it's mental health, substance abuse, or maybe there's domestic issues in their life. Yeah. So maybe that's why we get involved earlier. Right. Yeah. I mean, we could, you and I and everyone out there could have a long political discussion about how we treat youth in this country, but we don't have time for it today. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I I do want to continue where we left off about. You know, that if, if a juvenile is, is charged with a crime, first they are either sent home or they go to a youth center or a detention center immediately based on the number of points they have. Okay, we got through that. And then they wait until there's actually a trial. Is it a, called a trial, just like an adult trial, by the way? It is called a trial. And it's only you can only have a bench trial except for some, certain offenses. You can have a jury. But so only the judge decides okay. if the child's and- guilty or not guilty. And when we're waiting for that, the kid could maybe be at home if it's a relatively minor offense, um, or they could be in one of these youth homes. Would you say, I mean, you've dealt with situations where they're there for months. Mm -hmm. Yes, unfortunately, they could be there for months. Mm -hmm. And what you mentioned- The goal is not to, but yeah. And you mentioned that there's a lot of services that are offered there, and this is why these things are so expensive. I was reading- a great article about what happens. It wasn't in Illinois. It was in um, Lincoln, Nebraska, about how the Nebraska juvenile system works. And the uh, I got just got to say, any teacher in a juvenile uh, youth home is doing the Lord's work, by the way. Uh, there's a lot of different kids with a lot of different past issues that are trying to, uh, that they're trying to inspire and teach them and and get them either on the right track or at least while they're in there, you know, somewhat, you know, getting the learning they need. So there is education provided in mental health services, but um, it's still got to be a traumatic experience to be separated from your family for a long time. It definitely does, especially if you're one of the younger ones. If you're 13, you're still in junior high. This is maybe the first time you've ever been separated from your family. And it's not like you're doing a sleepover at a friend's. You're tossing them with strangers you can't just call your parents whenever you want. They can't drop by whenever they want, especially now with COVID. Uh, when COVID was going on these past several years, there were really stringent requirements and restrictions on 
parents and other family members being able to see their kids. Mm-hmm. So it's very, it's very different to transition. Now, I know a lot of people might be saying, okay, yeah, but if you're 13 or 14, you're spending six months in this youth center. It must have been a pretty serious crime. It must have been a carjacking. For the most part, not necessarily that it was carjacking or a smash and grab, but these would be more of the serious offenses, right? Right. They would be more of the serious offenses where the judge deems that they'll release in those minors. They're either a threat to themselves or a threat to the community. Correct. If someone, even let's say it's not six months, let's say it's a couple of weeks or whatever, that's still a, a long time for a 13, 14 year old to be separated from their folks. It, is hiring a, a defense attorney like yourself or any, you know, someone that specializes in this stuff, are you able to argue for more access to kids or at least be, are you able to go into these places and talk to them and tell them what's happening and represent them in that way? Yes, yes, definitely. Thankfully, the restrictions with regards to attorney visits are completely different than family. And pre-COVID, we had a lot of access whenever we could, obviously not in the middle of the night, but definitely a lot more access than families did. So that thankfully is very beneficial. We can bring in police reports and things. We can get a court order to bring in our laptops so we can show them videos and photos and anything else. So that is very, it is good. I know it's different when you're dealing with a juvenile, but I mean, at the same time, you're building a defense very similarly to the way defense attorneys build defenses for adults, right? Exactly. So we have to review the police reports with them, the videos, photographs, see if there's any challenges we can make to their arrest or statements that they may have made to law enforcement. And then, yeah, trial strategies, self-defense, defense of others, alibi. So it's just exactly as if you were preparing for an adult trial. It's the same for a juvenile. I know it's really difficult to determine you know, whether you charge uh, juveniles as adults or not. That's a really difficult thing on i mean it ultimately comes down to a judge based on what prosecutor recommendations how does that work right so years ago it used to be much simpler the list was much longer where a juvenile is automatically charged as an adult you didn't you skip the hearing before the judge completely but several years ago it changed so really there's only in illinois so now there's only three things where you automatically are charged as an adult if the juvenile is 16 years or older so it's murder, aggravated criminal sexual assault, and aggravated battery with the firearm when that minor is the one that personally discharges the weapon. Those are automatic where the juvenile is charged as an adult. Any other offense, the prosecutors can file a petition to get the minor transferred to adult court. It's a very prolonged and lengthy hearing with numerous witnesses, and you can get psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists to testify. You have your minor undergoing evaluation. So it's a long hearing that could take several days. And then it's up to the judge to determine whether or not the minor should be transferred and tried as an adult or not. Right. And you mentioned psychiatry. I mean, they're trying to ascertain what the mental state of this, essentially this child is to determine what, what, whether they have the good sense that an adult would have to know right from wrong. What are they looking for? Correct. Exactly. That. And whether or not they should be accountable as an adult or whether or not they were coerced or induced or just went along with the other adults or someone else to commit the crime. So that's why they've now the statutes limit, the legislature is limited where it's automatic, because a lot of times juveniles just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time or with a group of older friends or maybe older siblings that commit a crime. So then they get caught like if they're in a stolen car. Those guys can get charged as adults and the kid maybe didn't do anything, just get in a car with his brother or sister. So should they really be tried as an adult too? 
that's what the judge has to decide at these hearings. Right. And I appreciate that at least there's a human being looking over that sort of stuff. I think that, you know, I, I understand that there's certain restrictions for those high offenses you're talking about. Um, you know, I, I guess I think a lot of people, you know, that makes sense. Um, but at the end of the day, there should be at least someone making the determination based on evidence that can that is gathered to make those determinations. But, I mean, it's a wild swing depending on what the judge determines and what their ultimate fate is, right? I mean, you mentioned 30 days versus, you know, someone could go to prison for the rest of their lives. Right. And so that's the difficulty is even in articles or even not just in Illinois, it really could be subjective for the judge. Whether or not you can have the exact same situation in a judge here in one county, a judge in a different county, and the results could be different. Yeah. In Cook County, maybe they stay as an adult. Maybe in a smaller county that's more rural, they don't see as much crime. That juvenile gets charged as an adult. It really is subjective. All right. AndersonAA.com is where you can find Audrey, 630-877-5800. But Audrey, we're not done. I have a couple more questions to ask you after the break here on 720 WGN. 720 WGN, John Hansen here on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association, Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. And Audrey, uh, we've been chatting about how kids versus adults are treated in our criminal justice system, how it all works. It's an interesting conversation, getting a lot of interesting texts on the text line. In 2018, Congress passed the Juvenile Justice Reform Act, which re- amends a landmark uh act back in 1974 but this basically deals i'm sure it deals with a lot of things but for the purpose of this conversation it deals with what to do in that middle period before a juvenile has been found guilty right this this middle time where you know where do juveniles who are going to be charged as adults go um do they go to adult prison or do they go into a youth home or something like that, right? Am I understanding that that's what one of the things the law ta- the law tackled? That's correct, right? Because a lot of juveniles were being charged as adults, and then they were thinking, well, if a juvenile is charged as an adult, they should just be housed in the adult jails. So that doesn't seem right that you can have a a sixteen year old with thirty six year olds who were in there for murder and a sixteen year olds in murder. Yes, they may be charged for the same thing, but they're they're completely separate people and circumstances. So that was one of the prongs that the legislature changed as to where juveniles should be housed and whether or not they can have contact with other adults who are being confined in jails. Right, because we should just reiterate here, these are presumed innocent until proven guilty. So the idea being that just because you're charged with murder or a high crime at 15 or 16 uh, in this intermediate period, uh, because a lot of obviously things we don't have to get into here, but a lot of things can happen in adult prison that can really, really harm a minor. And if it turns out they're innocent of that crime, found not guilty, you know, you've now really com- could have really messed someone up for a long time. Anyways, I don't want to go into the, all the details of that, but uh, Illinois, the, the law was passed in 2018. I was reading an article out of Pennsylvania that they were finally coming into compliance with some of this stuff because a deadline was approaching. Did Illinois... Were they right uh, after the law was passed? They, they they changed some of these these rules here in the state. Yes, Illinois was fairly quick to to change and adapt to make sure that the juveniles were housed separately, that they didn't have contact or contact even seeing another confined adult. I think other states it was more difficult, especially maybe in rural areas because of budgeting. So you have to build something completely separate than 
where you would house adults for juveniles. Right. So that's why it was a staggered delayed imposition of this, these laws. Yeah. Thanks for saying that, by the way, too, because I, when I said finally coming to compliance, I, I shouldn't have indicated that they were, you know, resisting it. You're right. There are infrastructure things that have to get done. And that's why Congress builds in that period of time for, for people to be able to make those changes. All right. We just got a couple minutes left, Audrey. I think that one of the big takeaways from this conversation is, look, your kids are great, everybody. They all are well-behaved, John and Judy and Jill's, but kids make mistakes. And there are quick ramifications for those depending on what that mistake is. And the reality is, is if you you don't have a, a, a proper defense, and even if you do, there are situations where your kids can be separated you for sometimes a lengthy time, right, Audrey? Right. So it's very important that you make sure that you have an attorney that knows juvenile law. There's, it's a completely different statute code, juvenile law, than adults. So you have to know the language, the arguments to make before the judge as to why your minor should be released and at home with you and under what circumstances. So it's very important that you jump on it right away and reach out to get an attorney as soon as your child is being questioned by law enforcement. Yes, not, don't wait any longer than that. Uh, and you can call Audrey Anderson. Everyone, save this number in your phone. I think this is the task for y'all. Audrey Anderson here. I'm giving people a chance to go into their contacts. You hit add. I can never find the can- contacts app on my phone. Um, and then you enter 630-877-5800. 630-877-5800. That's Audrey Anderson. Audrey I hope no one has to ever call you, not because you're not a wonderful person, but it'd be nice if they didn't ever have to look up that phone number, but it should be near the tops now at Audrey. But, but here's the thing. When you need that, when they need to call you, they, you're going to want to have that number right handy because time makes a difference, right? Right. And you're already so pressured and confused and distraught, upset because your child's going through this and you have no idea about the process, the system. So you need to make sure that you're thinking clearly because sometimes in pressured situations, we don't always think clearly about what the next steps are. And so we need to be prepared. Just uh, one last minute here. I want to ask you, what are some things you're getting calls for from parents I don't want to say what's trending, but like, what are things that maybe parents then go, oh my gosh, I didn't even think that that could be something serious that I need to call an attorney for. Right. So some are just off comments that kids might make in school to other kids that an adult or a person that's not their friend hears. Like if they're just saying, oh, they wish something would happen to this teacher or class canceled so they didn't have to take a test or something. Another student passing could hear that as a threat to the school. So that seems to be happening a lot. And um, I I think just some of the alcohol-related offenses are coming up now as it's getting towards the nice weather. Yes, and seniors have even more senioritis. Uh, Not that anyone, of course, is advocating for drinking underage. I just know that it does happen, and kids get in some trouble for that. And, you know, some of that might be deserved, but it doesn't mean that they shouldn't have the right defense that they are entitled to. Oh, oh, and also anything with cell phones. (laughs) I I don't even want to go down that road, but parents, you know what I'm talking about. So Anderson Attorneys and Advisors, Audrey, I always enjoy our conversations. 630-877-5800. 630-877-5800. Have a great rest of your weekend, okay? Thank you. You too. Thank you again. All right. Always a great conversation with Audrey. We appreciate her stopping on by.